Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, my name is Grant Stanerson, and I stand before you today ready to argue that when the American Supreme Court agrees to hear arguments in a case, momentum builds for the issue argued, whether or not the Supreme Court affirms or condemns said case. To start my opening argument, this phenomenon of momentum building after a Supreme Court decision is shown most clearly by Dred Scott v. Sanford in 1856-1857 and Santa Clara County v. Southern Pacific Railroad Corporation in 1886. Picture this. The year is 1833. You are Dred Scott, a slave owned by John Emerson of Missouri. John decides to take a couple trips with you in tow. He starts in his home state of Missouri, which is a slave state, and he then travels to Illinois, which is a free state, and finally stays in the Wisconsin Territory, which happens to be a free territory, until the early 1840s. The family then moved back to Missouri due to John's failing health. John died in 1843, and at that point, you, as Scott, attempted to purchase your freedom from Emerson's widow. She did not sell. Scott, tired, beaten, and still a slave, tried a last-ditch effort of filing a case in the Missouri State Court that, because he had been a resident of a free territory, being Wisconsin, he should be considered free and no longer a slave. The Dred Scott case lasted for years. Despite starting in the early 1840s, a verdict wasn't rendered until 1850 by the Missouri State Court declaring Scott free. The jubilation and triumphant success Scott must have felt was all dashed away just a short two years later, when in 1852, the Missouri Supreme Court broke their own doctrine of once free, always free, and reversed the decision, making Scott a slave once more. However, Scott appealed, lost, and appealed again until eventually he reached the Supreme Court, led by Chief Justice Roger Brooke Taney himself. Disaster struck Scott once again as the court issued a 7-2 decision against Dred Scott. Chief Justice Taney wrote arguably the single worst majority opinion piece of his 28-year-long career as Chief Justice. Taney's main argument was that when the Constitution was written in 1787, and this is a direct quote, he, being the African-American, was bought and sold and treated as an ordinary article of merchandise and traffic whenever a profit could be made by it. This opinion was at the time fixed and universal in the civilized portion of the white race. This terrible opinion piece ignores the abolitionists among the Founding Fathers that, while rarer than they would have been, they still existed. Another reason this argument is invalid is, as Justice Curtis pointed out in Critique Against Taney, is that free African Americans had voted in many states during the founding of America. This argument also ignores the nebulous nature of the Constitution, which was made to allow it to change over time as society advances. Taney's most famous line of this opinion piece was, We think people of African ancestry, are not, and that they are not included, and were not intended to be included, under the word citizens in the Constitution, and can therefore claim none of the rights and privileges which that instrument provides for and secures to citizens of the United States. This opinion piece decimated the carefully brokered peace between the North and the South. The Chief Justice just ruled that a large portion of citizens in the Northern states were no longer citizens. The case made abolition a real issue, even for those who weren't already abolitionists due to the severity of the decision. The Civil War was fought just a short four years later. This heart-wrenching case is a perfect example of how, despite the fact that Chief Justice Taney's argument condemned the abolition side of slavery, momentum for the issue of slavery was built up like never before. I think it's time for a brief recess. To give a bit of a entertainment during this recess, 
Did you know that in 1893, as a result of the Nix versus Heading case, the Supreme Court legally labeled tomatoes as vegetables? This was caused by a tariff that taxed fruits and vegetables differently. The court ruled, as spoke by Justice Gray, these definitions have no tendency to show that tomatoes are fruits, as distinguished from vegetables in common speech or within the meaning of the Tariff Act. This case also meant that dictionaries, which was where most of the arguing for this case came from, could no longer be used as evidence in court, only as memory and understanding aids for the court. In conclusion, while tomatoes may be botanically fruits, the Supreme Court has ruled them as vegetables. And that is the end of our recess. The next example of how the Supreme Court drums up momentum for an issue is the Santa Clara versus the Southern Pacific Railroad Corporation in 1886. This case is particularly interesting because the important part is not the case itself, but instead the headnote on top of it. For context, certain Californian corporations were fighting against a new state law that gave worse tax rates on assets owned by corporations compared to assets owned by individuals. A headnote is not the work of the court, but it's simply the work of the reporter, given his understanding of the decision prepared for the convenience of the profession. Said headnote was written by J.C. Bancroft Davis, and he wrote, One of the points made and discussed at length in the brief of counsel for defendants and heir was that the corporations are persons within the meaning of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. Before argument, Mr. Chief Justice Waite said, the court does not wish to hear argument on the question whether the provision in the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, which forbids a state to deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws, applies to these corporations. We are all of the opinion that it does. Interestingly enough, Davis used to be the former president of the Newburgh and New York Railway Company. But, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you can make of that what you will. This headnote basically set a precedent for having the same rights set aside for individuals and corporations, specifically a clause in the 14th Amendment. Known as the Due Process Clause, it states, No person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. After this headnote, the 14th Amendment applied not only to people, but corporations as well. This gave way to the peak of the Gilded Age and allowed for business tycoons such as J.P. Morgan and Rockefeller to make even more money than they already had. As Justice Douglas said in 1949, the Santa Clara case becomes one of the most momentous of all our decisions. Corporations were now armed with constitutional prerogatives. This headnote also gave great momentum to continue the Gilded Age with J.P. Morgan, Carnegie, Rockefeller, and others using this headnote to a substantial extent. The 14th Amendment was supposedly supposed to protect the rights of African Americans. However, of the 307 cases dealing with the 14th Amendment, that went to court between 1890 and 1910, 288 were about business as opposed to the 19 that dealt with African Americans. There was pushback, however. The American Bar Association started an education campaign to try and reverse the court's decision. By 1886, they had even succeeded by passing laws to regulate the rates that railroads charge farmers. The Supreme Court, however, decided that this was an intrusion on federal power and overruled 230 state laws that have been used to regulate corporations. I think I've taken enough of the jury's time, so I'll get into my closing arguments. I told you here today that I was here to prove that when the American Supreme Court agrees to hear arguments in a case, momentum builds for the issue argued, whether or not Supreme Court affirms or condemns that case. I believe I've done that. When the American Supreme Court condemned the rights of black citizens in the Dred Scott case, enough momentum was built to start the bloodiest war in America's history.
And when corporations were ruled as citizens, enough momentum was built to both pass and overrule over 230 state laws, along with an entire education campaign to be launched in the direct prolonging of the Gilded Age. While both of these cases happened over a century ago, the structure of the Supreme Court has not been significantly altered since then. Cases like these could still happen, and do happen. Cases where the verdict rises an intense amount of momentum for an issue are still a thing in the modern world. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I hope you remember my words when you make your verdict. I'd like to give special thanks to my sources, which include Encyclopedia Britannica's article, Dred Scott Decision, Chief Justice Taney's Majority Opinion and Dred Scott v. Sanford, Wikipedia articles on Nix v. Hedden and Santa Clara County v. Southern Pacific Railroad Corporation, and finally, A People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn. Thank you all for listening.